0: This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for January 26th, 2016. I'm your host Rob Zachney alongside Andrew Gruen here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. On today's show we'll be taking a look at the Counter-Strike Global Offensive Tournament at DreamHack Leipzig as Brazil's Luminosity Gaming makes yet another deep run in a major tournament.
1: We'll also be taking a look at some StarCraft Brood War briefly later on in the show. Uh,
0: but first, if you tuned into the show last week, you might remember Andrew said, in no uncertain terms, <laughs> that this weekend's StarCraft II tournament, DreamHack Leipzig, <laughs> would be a bore because the two St- South Korean players who showed up were going to destroy everyone and turn this tournament into a bore. Uh, and as we can see, that's of course exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, and as I look at the two finalists, I notice, <laughs> wait, no, hang on.
1: Wait, where's where Hydra and Violet? Where did, <laughs> right, where did Hydra right, and Violet right, go? Right, how, how, how'd let's, that prediction work, Andrew? Yeah, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this because I think anybody who has ever gotten into college basketball before has, has had that experience where one person or one team just makes a tear and just completely ruins your entire uh, entire bracket. So let's talk about this for a minute because this tournament uh, did not go at all the way that I suspected it would. Um but you know what? Like, if I could go back in time and make the exact same prediction, even knowing how things would turn out, I probably would still do it because people would think that I was a madman for predicting that uh, that things went the way that they actually did this weekend. That's how monumentally bizarre uh, and unprecedented all of this was. You know, I've been watching Starcraft for maybe four years now, uh, and I've watched dozens of these. You know Western tournaments, and the exact same thing happens every single time. We talked about it last week. One or two of these B-level South Korean players shows up uh, at the tournament and poaches the prize pool. Every time. Uh, It happens every time. And not only did this not happen this weekend, but the South Korean players didn't even podium finish this time. All three of the top finishers were Westerners, and that's something that I've absolutely never seen before. Uh, So if you want to make me eat crow on the show, whatever, man you know that's fine i uh, am i'm, I'm going to eat it up because i don't even care this was too much fun to watch and frankly uh the tournament went down this weird path as i mentioned because like my bracket my bracket got ruined because of this one player uh Ukrainian player uh, by the name of Bly uh, who's been around in the scene quite a long time it's really cool to see him back again but uh this UK- Ukrainian Zerg player um ultimately ended up coming second place in this tournament, but he single-handedly defeated both of these South Korean players that I suspected were going to run the table here. Uh, so in a lot of ways, you know, even though uh, a French player by the name of Petit Drogo took the tournament, this was this was actually Bly's weekend.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me the, the issue is that Violet and Hydra are not, Sort of the B caliber Koreans that I think you're used to talking about because, like, I know what you mean. Like, we're used to seeing the guys who are maybe support players on a pro league squad yeah. come over to these tournaments mm-hmm. and, and and sort of tear it up. Um, Hydra might fit that fit that description. I'm not sure Violet still does. <clears throat> uh, you know, so I mean, this is this is just kind of like these are guys I think you would not see week in, week in week out uh, in pro league, for instance, and, and so I don't think they're quite as you know, it's it's not quite like you know Samsung Solar uh, showing up sure. to sort of bogart the prize pool. Uh, so I, I I kind of you know last week I was skeptical whether these were the guys to to sort of really keep up the the grand tradition of Korean players, <laughs> uh, you know, wiping the floor with their with their Western counterparts. But I also think like watching this tournament, I got the feeling that Europe has matured Mm -hmm. a bit as a competitive region uh particularly uh particularly in a couple in a couple regions right there's these there's these weird like starcraft microclimates that seem to be uh in the process of forming and and i think france is france is definitely one of them absolutely right like one of one of my players uh this weekend that i i really expected to to see big things from uh was talking about marine lord uh, yes yeah, actually he's french. uh that's exactly because i yeah i was expecting uh great things from marine lord and that didn't work out uh well at all uh because he was he was knocked out by by showtime uh, and then showtime went on to take out uh you know the french champion lilbo so i mean it's just france in particular like had three turn uh, three three players in in this tournament uh that you know i consider now very very strong and actually uh, petite drogos the one i was sort of like least convinced about, sure. like he wasn't sure. really on my radar, but he showed really really good games. And then you've got guys like TLO who've been around forever, uh, suddenly like showing they've still got sort of that 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 top caliber talent uh, to compete. TLO, you know, TLO was this close. Uh, to, to getting to a semifinal, and, and, and God knows what
1: would happen if he did. Absolutely. And I mean, like you, you look at France, and there's there's probably, I think, five credible top-tier players uh, in France in this particular bracket, if you go through and, and you count like Marine Lord and Petit Tirogo and Lilbo. Um, and then you go just a little bit north of France, you find the Netherlands, and you've got a couple of, uh, of really strong uh, Dutch players as well, from uh, Uthermal uh, and Harstem. Uh, yes. And then you go over in Germany, and Germany's got its own thing going on. And all of these things, are there are these different unique little styles. And Europe is this really uniquely fun place in StarCraft right now, and that's never really been the case before. Um, you know, France has become sort of, I think it's its getting to a place where it's becoming famous for its its Protoss players with both Lil' Bao and now Petit Drogo. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's a lot of fun right now.
0: You, you know, the thing is, it, it is tough now when you don't have the, the those top, tier koreans to make direct comparisons because now you're just seeing like these european players playing as other europeans mm-hmm. so it, like for someone like me it is kind of tough to pick out um you know just like little examples of like sloppiness right like how do, how does the competition differ sure like, when you watch these guys play each other they're playing at the same level so it's all very exciting and actually i think made for one of the more entertaining dream hacks we've had absolutely. in a long time. Yeah,
1: yeah, but I mean I I don't think that it's it's too fair to to like, you know, push push aside Hydra as not really a credible uh credible competitor here. This is a guy who's kind of become famous over the last couple of years for like Solar for poaching these Western prize pools and and the fact that that didn't happen uh this weekend, I think it still says something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And although, although I would say Hydra is like one of those Hydra is one of those players that I, I think always finds a way to disappoint your expectations. <laughs> like if you're if you know, just when you're about to write Hydra off and sure. wins a couple tournaments, and just when you're like, man, <laughs> Hydra, he's turning into one of the best one of the best Zergs in the world. Sure. And then he just like goes dead for, for like six months. But there, you know, there were some there were some really wild games uh in, in this in this tournament. And actually, I think for me, one of my real highlights came uh, fairly early, it was when TLO was playing Snoot, another player that um, well, actually, Snoot's an interesting case. Uh, that Snoot does not seem to be doing all that well, uh, in the Legacy of the Vo- Void era, mm-hmm. and really doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be doing all that well in the post-Swarmhost nerf, yeah, uh, era, yeah. which I find kind of interesting because this was a player that for a long time was sort of pointed to as a uh, you know really really top tier Western talent, uh, a truly great Zerg. And it sort of seems like he, you know, he was dominant in one very special form of Starcraft, uh, arguably a fairly broken form sure, of Starcraft. Sure, sure. And he has not really been able to succeed now that different, uh, different styles and different skills are, are maybe a little more important. But anyway, so so Tiello is is playing Snoot. And they're going back and forth, and they end up in
1: this in this game five. Did, did did you see this thing? I did, I did. I don't remember exactly what happens in game five, though. Can you refresh?
0: Yeah. Um. So so TLO is 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 building into um. So so TLO is is building into uh. Like he's building into mutas.
1: Oh, I do and, remember this and, match. <laughs> this is a bizarre yeah,
0: match. Yeah, and. He loses all his he loses all his mutas, and so Snoot now has complete control of the skies. Um and then TLO just decides, well, I guess then he controls the air.
1: So I'm going to build ultras. <laughs> yeah. And to build a lot of ultras. Yeah, he basically cedes this... control of the sky. Like, he, like you like lists don't shoot up for anybody who who doesn't follow StarCraft. You can't kill things in the air with ultralisks. And so he just says Forget it. I'm just gonna run these giant, really expensive units all over the map and wreak havoc and say if you wanna if you wanna use the air to control, you're gonna to have to split up. You're gonna to have to use these weak units in really ineffective ways.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's where it really got crazy, is it was like for a mirror match, because they're both Zerg players, this was the most asymmetrical game of StarCraft <laughs> I've seen in ages. Because the armies literally so couldn't engage each other except under some weird circumstances. Uh, TLO was building infestors, uh, and uh, he he had a couple vipers, neither of which can actually attack uh, mutalisks directly, but they both had special powers (laughs) that made them a danger to the mutalisks. Uh, Infestors can sort of uh, cast fungal growth and and pin an army in place, and uh, vipers can uh, put parasitic bomb on a unit which basically turns uh a unit into, well, a, a ticking time bomb, sure. basically. They will blow apart and uh kill any of their friends that happen to be around. So it turned into this weird thing where like on the one hand, like T- like Snoot has an army that like literally can't be hurt as long as he as long as he sort of manages his air units carefully. But then you have have these ultralisks being sort of yeah, sent all over the map in this harassment role which is actually really unusual for for the way ultras are used right yeah. usually they're they're sort of this massive battering ram and you send them in to completely clean house and and wipe out a uh, a weaker ground army here tlo just kind of used their inherent tankiness to make it so that there are these impossible like harassment attacks they're impossible to shut down cuz it takes so long to absolutely. kill absolutely an ultra with air units and so it was this it was this bizarre fascinating game absolutely uh that it was it was it was a train wreck yeah but it was it was absolutely glorious because like it's one of those things that only happens when like one player like okay so snoot wins the air unit the air war completely Mm -hmm. that's not supposed to happen yeah tlo makes a decision that's a little unconventional he's like okay i'm just not going to build air units Uh, I'm going to... And rather than my ground armor get torn up by this, uh, I'll I'll go Ultras. And Snoot sees that, doesn't know how to respond, so he just builds more air units. And it's just, like, (laughs) bit by bit, the players are completely, like, going off book into this really weird edge case of
1: StarCraft. Because that's the conventional wisdom of of Zerg versus Zerg, is once you get... Uh, command of the air, you've won. So just keep building more and more and more so you never lose your grip on the air because the match is over. But what, I, what tickled me so much about this Game 5 is that this has happened to me before online playing against other players uh, on, on Battle.net is you, you have this huge flock of Mutalisks but they're so they're 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 quick, but they're also in they're slow in the fact that it takes them a long time to really kill anything, and so the other player can just run zerglings or in this case ultralis, which actually formed almost the exact same function uh, in in this role, and just run them around the map and make sure that you can never actually use your your air superiority to attack, and so. Uh, you know Snoot is a is a player who could absolutely have surmounted that, and that's where these vipers and and uh, and investors come in where TLO has just enough of a credible defense that in the perfect circumstances, he can wipe out Snoot's army and Snoot has to respect that. And it, it just turns into this really, as you said, this really bizarre asymmetrical game uh, that was so much fun to watch. And, you know, to me speaks volumes about, again, we have talked. We usually talk about this every time we talk about StarCraft now. It's just how, how good of a game that Legacy of the Void seems to be. Uh, and that seems to be one of the other big uh, takeaways from this tournament. Is that Legacy of the Void, not only in terms of game balance, which we talked about a moment ago. But also in terms of how it's mixing up the professional scene. Uh, does seem to just be really, really good for StarCraft right now. And I think that that's part of what we saw this weekend. Um, in terms of why we had so many, so many new names involved and so many, uh, so many foreign names at the top of this tournament, is because you know, if, if ever there's a time for a younger player or a newer player or an unknown player to, to make a splash, it's right now. It's right when uh, a, new, a new expansion comes out and they can actually kind of take the world by storm and take people off guard with new strategies and new, uh, n- new understanding of the game that maybe some other players don't quite have yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm real happy with with where where the game is at, and it also seems to allow maybe a little more personal style mm. and flair, as it were, on the part of individual players. Because I feel like you were able to see things. I felt like at times, particularly in heart of the swarm, uh, at, at times like it could be a little tough to to tell players apart really because there were certain meta like there were certain meta strategies that were so dominant like you know during during sort of the the peak swarm host era a a lot of all Zer play came down to getting as many of those bastards out as possible (laughs) and um you know so it's just you know it it sort of seemed like the the game was at times sort of being played a a little bit by rote yeah uh and and maybe it's just because there is a little more Open, there's more opportunity in these foreign tournaments now. Like you don't have as many Korean players with these like you know mere polished builds. Yeah, that they're rolling out. Yeah. So there's a little more. There's a little more room to experiment and try stuff out. But like for me, like the the final was 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 okay. Uh, you know, Bly lost four uh, one, but they they were actually pretty good games. All of them. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the uh, the youth thermal uh, versus uh, Petit Jorogo, uh, uh duel in the in the semifinals because that was a really cool that was a really cool juxtaposition of like thermal has this really aggressive approach to playing starcraft right like he's just he, he's just someone who given the choice he will always he will always harass he will <laughs> always come at you uh even to the point where where it doesn't always make sense but man yeah. when it lands it's 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 really deadly, and so that was that was a really exciting that was a really exciting tournament because you know you kind of saw like Uthramal was gonna <laughs> he was gonna stand or fall, based on his ability to get in Drogo's face and deliver like consistent, endless early damage into the mid-game that would slowly like grind the guy down yeah
1: that's interesting uh, i missed that series i'm actually gonna i'm gonna have to go back and watch that because that's that's the kind of terran play that i really like to watch i don't like uh this very slow you know mech based uh in, in, like invincible army kind of play that a lot of people still use i like old school terran from back in like wings of liberty where you would just march up to somebody in the first three minutes of the game and just start attacking right away just do as much damage as you possibly can and get in people's faces.
0: Yeah and you know honestly I think the, uh, the, the the cases where where it didn't work out for thermal is just a player like that is going live and live and die by bioplay mm-hmm. right yeah. And then so uh what you know when it worked out when he was able to keep those advanced uh, units with with AOE from, from getting out on the field, uh, he did well but in cases where he kind of uh, got Delta bloody nose early, uh, he would end up falling farther and farther behind because like, you know, once you're stuck on bio and you're behind on upgrades, yeah. and you don't even have the right matchups, it gets it gets real tough. Uh, unless you can pull, unless you can pull a miracle out, and he didn't quite manage to do that. But it was it was a it was a really terrific tournament, uh, and I think you know points to really exciting things uh, for the future of StarCraft. Abroad, uh, There was another tournament going on at DreamHack Leipzig, of course, and that was the Counter-Strike Global Offensive event where Luminosity Gaming faced off against Na'Vi in the final for a $50,000 grand prize. Uh, so, Andrew, we, we said last week we were curious whether Luminosity could continue to impress us and build on some of their strong recent performances when they were matched with a field that wasn't quite at the elite well. This was a good field, but Fnatic wasn't there. Right. That's really what we're talking right, about, right, right. right? Like, so can Luminosity really, like, you know, <laughs> can they run with the Bulls uh, <laughs> sure. when, when you don't have Fnatic around? Yeah. Uh, you know, given that they got to the final and played two
1: overtimes against Navi, mission complete for Luminosity? I mean, if you care about moral victories, uh, sure. Uh, but frankly, this has got to be the most frustrating. Incremental step forward for luminosity. You know they showed up uh, at this tournament, like kind of on the brink of doing something great. That's what we were talking about uh, last week, and and now they go home without filling that and coming maddeningly close. Like you said, like they they lost two zero uh, in the final, but they were both overtimes. So they were both incredibly close, really good matches that they could have absolutely could have absolutely won if things had gone even slightly different or if they had played even slightly better. Uh, you know, but the bottom line is that Luminosity lost, uh, and and I think they lost in ways uh, that showed why they're not, you know, up to scratch against the best teams in the world. Um, the simple fact is right now, Luminosity doesn't have that superstar performer uh, that they need to bring them to sort of the very top level uh you can look at the stats and you can see it plain as day uh every player on luminosity in that final had about the same uh kill death ratio uh which is loosely like how we judge performance in csgo it's not perfect but it's a pretty good ind- indicator um and it's like all of their players were were pretty much around the same level they were all playing pretty well um you know, Luminosity is, I believe, their best kill-death ratio uh, was Fallen uh, with a plus-seven ratio, uh, which is to say he got seven more kills than the number of times he died. You know, it's good. It's fine. Um, that's that's perfectly good. You'd be happy with that. It was the best on his team. A very good team. Uh, but over on Na'Vi, Flamey had a plus-26 ratio in this match. Yeah. Uh, and when you get into a really close series like this one was a very top level team needs to be able to bank on at least one player being on fire that weekend uh to really make that difference because when it's this close anything any little advantage tips the balance
0: yeah and actually like given that flamey was was having such a good series kind of makes it impressive that that uh, Luminosity could could keep it so close, right? <laughs> sure, that, like, sure. When you have a bunch of guys who are who are just just a little bit north of, of breaking even, and then Navi has this one player who's basically like killed like, killed killed an entire team five times. Sure, but that's that moral uh, victory again, series. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's it. Well, it's it's impressive they were able to to, to sort of overcome that and make it close. You know, I don't want to make too much of one moment though. But I do feel like luminosity's issues were kind of encapsulated by, by one play during, the round of thir- uh, during round 30 of their first map against Navi on train. Uh, and this was this you know this is great counter strike. It's super tense, right? It's, it, it's, it's round 30. Uh, last round, the series is 15, 14. Uh, luminosity's in the lead. They just need one more round uh, to win the map and go up 1-0 on Navi. Well, Navi, you need to win the tie. And uh, you know, luminosity are coming into into the rail yard, and they and they see a cloud of smoke in, in front of in front of the stairs, and they just charge through blindly. Um, and Navi has two of their players, uh, seized and flamey, uh, waiting on the other side, and, and suddenly, you know, luminosity are just kind of walking into their crosshairs, hmm. uh, and, and then and then, uh, fair and, and and fallen seem to get confused. They don't actually know which direction the shots are coming from, so Flamie just cleans them up and actually shoots Fallen in the back uh, while he's standing on the stairs. Um, like total, total confusion. Yeah, and that triggers the overtime where where Luminosity were were pretty decisively beaten, and it all comes down to this really. This really rash decision that hands Navi easy kills and puts uh, LG's like best player in a position where he has simply no idea which way to go or, or or where to look or where to be shooting, and I think that's that's an experience, right? Because Luminosity are a better team than that. Uh, they showed they're a better team than that. Just the fact they were able to to keep the series that close uh, shows that they were that, you know they were they were good in these in these really like tactical, deliberate uh, situations. But in that maximum pressure situation, round 30, you know, one round to win, they just, they just kind of made this wild lunge for victory when they really needed to be patient and, and just feel
1: things out. Yeah, so I, I mean, to me it kind of comes down to this age-old question though that, I, that I'll, I'll pose to you, which is like when you're that close to winning and you're the underdog... Do you trust in your ability or do you try to do something weird to take the enemy off guard in that final moment? Or do you just play standard and trust that the ability that got you there uh, It means that you deserve to be there and that you can take out this other team?
0: I, I feel like that kind of decision... I mean, it depends, right? Because I return to I return to Starcraft as an example, sure. right? Like knowing when to cheese yeah. is really important. Like you look like a genius if it <laughs> works, uh, or if you're making the comparison to football, you know, like a lot of coaches. When is a good time to to run a fake uh, uh, like a fake punt, mm-hmm. right, or a fake field goal? Well, it's when the other team doesn't expect it. Yeah. Okay, but when are they not going to expect <laughs> right. it, right? Uh, and, and so, like, but I feel like in this case. That was a decision that reflected to me a certain – there was no strategy there, right? It wasn't like they they had a plan. They were like – Let's just sort of bum rush them, yeah. And you don't you don't bum rush Navi in 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 this situation. And actually, Counter Strike is not really that kind of game, right? Like it's not really a game where you can just sort of you know go Kool Aid Man through the wall (laughs) and expect that to work out. It's just not that kind of shooter in in most cases. So I I feel like that kind of decision actually speaks to a lack of confidence, right? Like when you know you're you're there, you're you're right there, you're almost at the goal, and on some level. None of you believe that you
1: deserve to be <laughs> Absolutely, there Absolutely, yeah. and you'll lose the standard game. So you just go. Absolutely. Even though, even though you're in the lead, even though the worst case scenario is that you just force a, you, you, I, I feel like you have to take the high percentage play there like that. That's like in all sports and in all things you go for the high percentage play. You give yourself a 50, 50 chance to walk away well, with the win and the high percentage play in that case
0: is just don't run through the smoke that's the yeah. other thing right <laughs> it's like this isn't like don't by all means be aggressive but you literally can't see in front of your face in this situation you don't it's you don't know what's on the other side yeah. there
1: except there's a good chance it's going to be dudes well and it's also to me it also plays into this central strength of of navi uh which is that we see that we started to see this as we've seen navi play more and more and more navi refuses to make a move they set up in, in the strongest defensive position that they possibly can and then they just wait for the other team to make a mistake so that they can take off one one enemy or something like that chip away an advantage and then just steamroll that map they will it's almost frustrating to watch them it's very cool to see their their individual personality play out in the way that they play but to me walking into a defensive position of navi's seems like the quintessential mistake to make against navi yeah yeah so I know we already talked about StarCraft on this show once today, but I do think it's worth discussing the fact that this weekend we had a twenty-seven thousand dollar Brood War final, uh, and it was it was really interesting. We usually talk about StarCraft two on this show. We don't get a chance to talk about Brood War very often, uh, which is this this it's this game that kind of raised the bar for what esports could look like, um, and it's it's also the game that StarCraft two has been kind of chasing for years. Brood War, you know, established basically what what a top tier professional national esport could look like and StarCraft II has always been been chasing that shadow. Uh we don't get to see a lot of first rate broadcasts of Brood War uh these days. Um so it was really fascinating to watch this final between uh Bisu and Effort
0: Yeah and I mean I have to be honest here I completely missed uh the you know the the classic Brood War era. Mm. Uh Absolutely. because when Me that too. was happening I didn't have broadband internet. Like, I, <laughs> I, like I couldn't, yeah. like, the, the idea of watching a stream was crazy. Like, getting video to my computer when, when Brood War was huge uh, was, was really difficult for me at the time. And also, like, also the game was 10 years old. I'd moved on from StarCraft. I yeah. didn't care anymore. Uh, so, I mean, I, I ended up missing, really, the, the, the glory days of Brood War. And so it was kind of, it's always been kind of bittersweet, right? Coming to StarCraft two. And you realize you kind of arrived after the party, right? Where all the major characters, like all the major personalities are always talking about back in the day and these amazing events of like StarCraft past. And you don't really like, if you didn't see it, you can't totally get sure. it. And I don't just mean like the sold out arenas. I just mean the the game itself, yeah. right? Like what did, what did that game at a top level look like? And this gave us a chance to really see that. But in the context of, like a fully modern eSports infrastructure yeah. where you can just flick on your computer and be like, oh, Brood War, I will watch that and it will be flawless.
1: Yeah, that's something that we haven't, we haven't touched on with, our, with our, um, our StarCraft coverage is this, this idea, this, this notion that everybody in StarCraft has that StarCraft 2 is just the, the, the bad child. The child that nobody wanted, that the child that didn't live up to its older brother, uh, and uh, I guess that's uh, this week on sad about StarCraft again. Uh, but you know the reason I think specifically why we're talking about this is because this was this was a match where you know somebody over at the Korean broadcasting decided to champion uh, Brood War for the Western audience and bring this final specifically uh, to Western audiences with uh, you know our most famous uh, StarCraft casters, Tasteless and Artosis. Um, breaking it down specifically for StarCraft Two fans. So at every at every moment of this uh, this final, we had these two really really knowledgeable, knowledgeable casters who know how Westerners and StarCraft Two fans see uh, StarCraft Rood War and see StarCraft Two and are able to you know say okay well this this unit is. Uh, this unit this version of the zealot in in starcraft brood war differs from from the one in uh starcraft 2 in these subtle different ways and are able to really bring us into the match and help us understand uh what what makes this game so cool makes it so interesting
0: yeah that was that was something that was that was really special because you can tell um artosis and tasteless do have this like Really profound connection to this game, yeah. right? This is this is their homecoming. This is them talking about the game that that kind of made their careers and has kind of shaped their lives, um, and also like, you know, I, I know you and I have had this debate before. I know at times that you felt that the 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 tastosis act has become a little too much shtick mm. and not enough substance, which. I can sort of see, sure. right? Like they definitely now put on, more, like it's an act that they that they do a lot of times. <laughs> so they talk about like you know old cartoons right. and, and stuff like that, or just go off on weird tangents, uh, and it's fun for a lot of people. But I think it's why you and I both sort of start gravitating toward um, the Spo TV uh, gang and uh, Valdez and Wolf, mm-hmm. uh, who I think are a little more a, a little more analytical and straight faced about yes. it. Yes, yes. And it was for me, it was kind of cool to see. The Tastosis casting duo that, that sort of got me into StarCraft see them make a full reappearance where they're just, like, they're entertaining, but they're also really on their game. They know their stuff, and they're constantly, like, decoding the game and helping you understand context for literally everything you're seeing. Uh, I thought it was, like, sort of them returning to, to, to their best selves. Admittedly, you know, this is also a game where they haven't had to fill airtime for <laughs> years and years of starcraft matches so like i'm not i'm not faulting them for for how their approach has yeah. evolved uh but it was cool to see them uh really you know dig into this topic
1: absolutely and and if if you're somebody who's listening to this who has followed starcraft too but it never had a chance to really try to to dig into brood work because i think people who don't who don't do StarCraft might be really surprised how different these games are. It's not really like a traditional sequel. Uh, they don't necessarily even function in some of the same very intrinsic ways. Uh, and so,
0: almost even, any of the same yeah, ways,
1: <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, even people who have studied StarCraft 2 really hard have no idea how StarCraft Brood War works. And so, yeah, like you said, it was it was really special not only to see to get an understanding of how this game works, but also to see those, these two characters, like you said really be passionate about this again and really kind of show us it, it felt like they were showing us around their hometown or something like that it really had that feel
0: yeah and then you had you had really good games yeah. uh to, to show as well and you know you had you had bizu uh who's sort of one of the one of the all-time great protoss players and uh effort who's kind of this this up-and-coming uh zerg as much as any player can be up and coming in a, in a decade <laughs> in an almost 20 year old game sure. uh but it was really interesting watching the, these two players go up against each other, because actually the, one of the first things that uh, Artosis and, and Taisla said is, well, we're probably not going to see the Reaver uh, tonight, because that's not really too useful in Protoss versus Zerg in Brood War. And we didn't until, like, Bisu got super desperate and was like, <laughs> screw it, I'm building a Reaver. And you could hear people, like, cheering in the background. Uh, but it was also, like, it really made me think, too, how you couldn't recreate brood war today really because so much of like the way that game works is tied to the fact that blizzard kind of had to hack that entire thing together sure. out of the i think it was the warcraft 2 engine so it has that sort of forced isometric perspective yeah but actually what you are watching is a is a 2d cartesian grid so it's a, it's a super weird thing to think about, right? But like your perspective is completely lying to you because the units actually are just moving vertically, vertically and horizontally along your monitor on this X Y axis, and that and that depth is a complete illusion. But there's a lot of weird qualities to the way units move that that sort of come from that force perspective. Uh, the pathfinding is really bad. You can't you can't control that many units yeah. at once. <laughs> um, so as you as you like get as you go up to max supply you literally lose the ability to control all the units you have without really extensive micromanagement yeah. uh and the the other thing is um you know it's a, it's a, it's it's a slower game in some ways than yeah. starcraft 2 and i mean that more in the sense that um in starcraft 2 units run into each other and really quickly they like one will kill the other mm-hmm. that's just kind of how starcraft 2 goes right And Brood War, there's actually a little more of a a grinding down period Mm -hmm. when when units smash into each other. And so you end up having these really, really excellent battles. I think in both games 3 and 4, between Beesu and Effort you had these moments where you had fights breaking out all across the map as these armies sort of ran into each other and, re- and groups of reinforcements would run into each other and another fight would start there. And you had these players sort of hopping between these fights, trying to micro all of them simultaneously. And as an audience member, you know, in StarCraft 2, there's, there's a lot of waiting for stuff to happen. You're like, okay, well, as soon as he gives those upgrades... He's gonna go as soon as that as he hits that max supply. He's going to go, and then stuff's going to happen. Here, there's a lot of stuff happening all the time. Uh, in, in you know once once the game hits a certain point, and it's really exciting to watch because now you're watching these guys sort of wage these these pitched battles uh, that that kind of they don't burn out really quickly because Morians keep they have time to yeah. arrive. You you do throw good money after bad sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, and and that made it a little more exciting in some ways like it, it definitely made me understand why there's so many brood war diehards who are like starcraft just doesn't have a lot of the same things that, that made brood war exciting to watch
1: yeah and it's interesting like there's there, there are just these things that are intrinsic about StarCraft Two that you can't change and get back about Brood War, whereas StarCraft, StarCraft Two is a game about big army battles. It's a it's a game about these you know max supply one hundred and fifty unit armies marching across the field and engaging another army of similar size. Uh, whereas in Brood War, you know intrinsically, you have you know, basically a max cap of like 20 units that can actually participate in a battle before it gets to be diminishing returns. You know, they can't, they can't physically get to the enemy units because of their range or because of the choke points on the map, or just because of the way things are ordered because of the speed of the unit. Um, and so it incentivizes exactly what you said, where it, there's no point in bringing extra units to that battle because that battle will be over by the time they actually get to the front line. So why not splinter them off and go attack a different location at the same time? Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's this quality that's unique to Brood War, and it doesn't make me like StarCraft any less or StarCraft Two yeah. any less. It just makes me feel like this is really neat. These, there are these two completely distinct games. It almost feels like I can enjoy both versions of StarCraft.
0: Yeah, and I think you know it's interesting because on the one hand, Artosis uh, and Tasteless were kind of like maybe this is the last time we'll ever cast this game, mm. blah blah blah, uh, and it doesn't help that the fact that we, that guy we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, sonic uh from spinu uh is currently dealing with sort of the collapse of his business um and he's sort of pushing back in some of the stronger allegations made against him uh but either way things look very serious for spinu and they were they were kind of the primary sponsor behind uh, this kind of brood war Um. renaissance but at the end of the cast uh you know africa tv did announce that there's going to be two more seasons of uh brood war competition this year and, you know, if you look, there's a lot of Brood War players now sort of returning to the game. Yeah. And it is having this, it is having this renaissance. And if you actually, like, so I saw recently, if you look at the most played games list on, um, like, for Korean, for Korean, like, PC bongs, mm. uh, Brood War is still, like, number one <laughs> or number two. Uh, so, I mean, way. it's not, it's not inconceivable <laughs> oh, no. that, like, Korea, or at least a number of their top players, are just going to be like, you know what, screw it, Brood War was awesome. Oh, yeah, Brood War's and become retro chic. Yeah, and so like I'm kind of <laughs> curious. Like I suspect actually this is not the last time we're going to talk about Brood War this year. Yeah, uh, I hope it. not, because that was a cool final, and I would actually love it if we got a chance to sort of, you know, you and I, I don't think ever really saw J-Dong in this prime, no. right? Like, we didn't see him play his game. We didn't see Flash play his game. Now, maybe we have that chance. You want to see a,
1: That could be really cool. You want to see a Brood War Seniors Tour? Is that what it is? <laughs> oh,
0: that's, a, that's an awful way of putting it. Yeah, I kind of do. Kinda, yeah, yeah, the Seniors Tour. 26 year old dudes.
1: <laughs> All right, but anyway, that's enough about the games of esports past. Let's get to esports tomorrow. Uh, it seems like the biggest thing going on in esports next week is a Chinese tournament called the Mars TV Dota 2 League. Uh, which will see Western teams like Evil Geniuses and Team Secret against the best that China has to offer in teams like Vici Gaming, LGD, Newbee, and eHome uh, for the biggest share of a $250,000 prize pool. Uh, this is a tournament that I feel like could be uh, an interesting harbinger of what may be to come at the Shanghai Major in, in early March. Uh, not only is it coming up really soon, but it's a Chinese event, so uh, we'll get to see how the best Chinese teams uh, perform on their home soil. You know, we haven't gotten to see too much of them since the last major uh over in frankfurt uh, and it's always interesting to see how teams from the other side of the world have changed the game and uh, adapted to their western counterparts uh, and frankly and i think this i think this is an important tournament uh, for china spirits going into the, uh, the shanghai major uh, the chinese teams performed incredibly well uh, at the international in august uh, taking second third fourth and fifth place really dominant stuff You know, we always talk about evil geniuses being the victor because that was such a huge moment for North America. But man, was that a moment for Chinese Dota as well, being second through fifth place. But they slipped a little bit uh, at the Frankfurt major and peaked at just fourth, fifth and sixth uh, with Western teams taking the top three spots. Uh, So China, I think in particular, really wants to, you know, to take this moment on their home soil, stop that slide uh, and reassert themselves as as the, the dominant region in Dota 2. That will do it for this edition of
0: Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs podcast produced by Michael Hermes. Until next week, if you have any esports
1: questions, please shoot them over to us at questions at esports.today.
0: We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney, signing off.